Hey folks, welcome into a no-hit edition of On to Waveland. It's the Cubs podcast here at The Athletic. I am Brett Taylor, joined by Sahadev Sharma. We are sans Patrick Mooney today as he is working on, uh, obviously, it's a lot to work on right now because the Cubs had a historic moment yesterday as Alec Mills no-hit the Brewers. Uh, the Cubs' second no-hitter at Miller Park, the only two no-hitters at Miller Park, Obviously, the one before was the Carlos Zambrano no-hitter in the relocated game against the Astros. So it's kind of cool. Like the two no-hitters in the history of Miller Park, both by Cubs, both in very bizarre circumstances. Uh, And so I want to so we'll get to the no-hitter. But since we haven't talked to you guys since last week, we wanted to kind of set things up with the conversation of how the, the weekend as a whole kind of turned for the Cubs I mean, in, in really rapid, dramatic fashion. So set set that up a little bit, Sahadev. Yeah, I mean, even before the weekend, the offense was really struggling, right? I'm trying to recall everything that happened, uh, what what day, what happened. But you the want some numbers? Just... Yeah, sure. Go, go for it. So before the ninth inning on Saturday, the Cubs had scored eight runs in their last 41 innings. So you do the math on that, and it's abysmal, right? Now yeah. wait for it. Wait for it. All eight of those runs came in one game against the Reds. Uh, so they had been shut out three times, plus some extra innings on either end of it, uh, during that, uh, you know, it was essentially three three games worth of shutouts that we had yeah. been observing. And that, and that win... Uh when Alex Mills started on Tuesday, all their runs came early, right? And it was like almost no hits or anything the rest of the way Correct. Uh, that that other game. I remember just thinking like, ooh, that's a nice win, but they didn't do anything like the last six innings offensively. Ah, well, you know, you don't dwell on that. You get shut up by Bauer. Ah, okay, it happens. Eight runs. Okay, great. Hey, good game. And, and just nothing. But Woodruff was dominant on Friday. I'll give him credit. Those eight innings to start Saturday, I was I was watching and I was like, this is hard to watch. Like this team looks lost. Uh, it, this is a this is about to spin out of control. You know, the to a team that just isn't. I, I, they're not a good team. I'm sorry, the Brewers are not a good team right now. You can't convince me that they are. Uh, watching that offense, that offense was built around Christian Yelich being a superstar. He is not even close to a great player right now at this current moment. I'm not. I throw out a lot of 2020. When this season ends, I'm not going to dwell too much on the numbers and who struggled. It was just. It's just been a weird season. But that, like, that was a moment on Saturday night where it, the complete tenor of how everyone should feel about the Cubs changed with one swing of the bat. I mean, it, it was, first of all, just getting a couple hits off, off Josh Hader is impressive because his one bad moment this year, I don't think there were any balls in play, right? No, it was, just, uh, he was just wild. Yeah, it was, he, he faced six batters and retired one of them and I think walked five. So that's this was a very different Josh Hader as far as results go against the Cubs. I know there was that one game where Rizzo hit a homer and then they blew it in the ninth. Uh, th- those things happen. But this one was one of those games where uh, uh, jaw-dropping. I was watching with my son, who is a Cubs fan, right? And I'm writing, I'm working, and and he, like, we were both like, okay, I was just like, I, I had my piece done because we'll talk about it later, but I had a piece done already on the bullpen. 
I didn't, whatever happened to the game didn't matter to my piece. As long as Craig Kimbrell didn't blow the uh, blow it. <laughs> and I looked like a fool for writing about the bullpen. Uh, but, but that was one so, of those moments. So where, when those first two guys reached against Kimbrell, you were sweating like, oh, geez. I was, uh, no, yes, you're not kidding. I was freaking out. Uh, the only time reporters root for results is when they have a piece that's, that's done and the results would completely blow it up. Uh, and, and so that, I mean, that's one of those moments that just, you're like, wow, did that just happen? A lefty, uh, I know Jason Hayward and, you know, he deserves all the props in the world for the way he's performed this year, but a lefty versus lefty matchup for him is not usually going to end well. One of the best lefties in baseball right now, that was a good moment. That was just, I mean, for the Cubs that had to feel great, uh, Vargas following it with a homer, just a little more of a cushion. So when those two men came on for Kimbrell, it didn't feel all that dire. Uh, Saturday completely changed everything around for the Cubs, I have to say. And Sunday was brilliant, obviously. But, I, I, you know, that I don't know if you can find a bigger moment. If we'll look back and whatever happens at this Cubs season, uh, at least for now, it feels like that allows them to feel a lot more comfortable about winning this division and getting that critical three, you know, no travel days, whatever, uh, to start the playoffs. Well, it's going to end up becoming, you know, like I think often about the Jason Hayward speech as it's known in the world series. And I have no doubt that it was a great moment and it would have been a great moment no matter what happened. But because the Cubs won the world series after it, it, it was uh, sort of, post hoc injected with so much more meaning. Um, and I really don't think it is at all crazy to suggest that if something really cool were to happen this season, if the Cubs were to, you know, sort of stay hot the rest of the way, go deep in the playoffs. Um, I don't think it's at all crazy to say that people will then in the same way, look back at that swing and say, well, that was when everything changed. Um, and I think it's I think it's useful to note that now, because uh, we can already feel that as a possibility. So it isn't just like totally looking back and then where you sometimes you look for a moment to be like, oh, you know what? It was that. It was like we can actually feel it now. Like because I was just like you, I was watching that and I sort of was watching that ball fly, and I had a stunned, silent reaction. I'm like, wait, is that ball gonna keep going? Seriously. <laughs> Did that wait what just happened it i mean it was it i was jaw dropped and then of course to have that followed up by Alec Mills of all players you know a really a fine pitcher he's actually been significantly more successful with the cubs than people give him credit for um but for him to throw a no-hitter in a 12 nothing game um it just I don't know. It's like, it's like the, you have the moment with Hayward and it's like, how do you follow that up? Oh, well, you know, a no hitter. That's how you follow that up. And so it is, it's almost, it's rare that an off day feels um, really good. Other than when like a team has been struggling and they're tired and they're whipped and it's like, get that off day. But in a weird way, I almost feel like today is a good off day to just like give everybody a moment to reflect on what an unbelievable turn and momentous weekend that was for the Cubs. Like, I just don't think you can overstate it. Yeah. I'm going to be Debbie Downer for a moment here. And that's to say that that no hitter was one of the, 
uh, lesser exciting ones. Uh, you know, it, it, I I didn't really realize it was a no hitter. Granted, I had uh, the Cubs on and the Bears on at the same time. I had the two screens working. Uh, for the first three quarters, I will say I was watching the Cubs most of the time because I was the, the frustration level because I am still a Bears fan. So the Cubs don't frustrate me in a way that that the Bears do. Right. Uh, the Cubs, I'm not a fan of the Cubs anymore, but like it's frustrating to watch that offense at times just because it's like, why is this happening? I don't understand this offense. Uh, but uh, it, <laughs> I didn't realize it was a no hitter until like the sixth inning. I was like. Have the Brewers gotten a hit? And like I said, the Brewers' offense is rough. Uh, I don't want to poo-poo it too much because the story is that Alec Mills shouldn't like be a major leaguer, right? Like he bare like all of a sudden, like this guy. You look at his profile; that's not really a, that great of a profile. But he worked his way up. He worked his butt off. You listen to him after the game, and how can you not love it? I mean, this o- is a guy overcame. Who's like, yeah. So, yeah. Sorry, I just I have to because no. this part gets lost too a bit, you know, because everybody was talking about like the walk on in college and, and late sure. draft pick. And that stuff's great. Also, overcoming multiple serious injuries like yeah. uh, over the years, too. Yeah, I mean, just and I mean, a good guy. Everybody likes him. You saw the reaction that Javi had. He was so happy to get that last out. He was thrilled. Like, you know, Javi's so confident he was screaming before he made the throw. Yeah. Uh, you know, there is there a signature moment? Is there that nasty slider cutter, whatever you want to call it, that Jake Garrietta threw? Is it the same as Zambrano doing it? No, I, I don't. I like I, I understand that that wasn't the most fun uh, I'm going to have watching a no hitter, uh, the most blown away, the, that feeling that you get when you watch Jake Garrietta dominate the Dodgers on a Sunday night. It wasn't the same. No. But it was it, it, it meant a lot to Mills. And I think when I this morning, like Patrick was on yesterday, I was technically off, although we did. We both worked uh, after he threw that no hitter. Uh, when I watched the post game again this morning to just kind of see everything, that's when I kind of was like, OK, no, no more negativity about this no hitter. This guy worked his butt off to even get in the major leagues and did he did he throw did he strike out 12 did he was he you know throwing nasty pitches and getting everyone to look like a fool like Giolito did the you know a couple weeks ago no but this just him doing this is such a huge accomplishment he felt so good about it and just kind of like how he said you know I I like being that guy now that said don't ever quit like that's a great story he's the guy that worked his butt off probably shouldn't be here probably has already moved past his ceiling and and he's he's he keeps getting a little bit better you know and I I got a tweet before his Tuesday start I just kind of talked about how I think Hayward was out that day. That was the day Hayward got scratched, something, blah, blah, blah. I, I tweeted something about the lineup, and I got this very angry tweet about Alec Mills just saying he doesn't deserve to be in the major leagues. And I it always bothers me when people say stuff like that, right? The angry fan just saying this guy doesn't deserve a job. And it's like, okay, he hasn't been that good lately. I understand the frustration, but let's give him a chance and see what he can do. I'd say the last two outings are, are pretty pretty damn good. And and the Cubs needed this from someone other than you, Darvish and Kyle Hendricks. They got it. We can't overlook what happened Friday either. 
The Cubs offense is the reason they lost on Friday. It wasn't John Lester, which you cannot say the previous whatever five, six starts it was for Lester. He was the reason they were losing, right? He was going out there. He'd lost everything. This is a big, this is bigger than just a no hitter for me. I, I don't know what Alec Mills is going to be going forward. I'm not proclaiming him some stud pitcher. He seems like he has a, a home in the major leagues and potentially in the Cubs rotation, but it's big because now David Ross doesn't have to say, okay, I have Kyle Hendricks. I have you Darvish. What the hell am I going to do the rest of the time, the rest of every other start? Cause that's got that hat to, I, you could see just talking to him in via zoom that that was something that he's like, yeah, I got to figure it out. Someone has to step up. Well, a John Lester's career doesn't look like it's over. And B, Alec Mills doesn't look like he was a flash in the pan for three for three starts. And then, you know, that 766 ERA over the next five was was starting to be worrisome. Well, we said the last, you know, um, when we last talked about our concerns with the rotation, which were, of course, justified at the time, you know, we said about John Lester, we're like now, you know, he's done this before. He's had times like this before, particularly in his his, his later years where he's getting hit around. But he, you know. He executes a game plan so well. The command is usually so strong. He still changes speeds and eye levels very well that that it, it reminds me in a lot of ways now of Alec Mills, that in the ways that they can be successful now, um, it is going to come not from having that premium velocity or stuff, but it is going to come from having just a superior pitchability to use to borrow a, a infamous draft term but i mean it, it really is the case that um with these guys that walk the fine line of you know they're, they're not going to walk a lot of guys they're also not going to strike out a lot of guys um but and if their command is just off a little bit in the zone they're going to get hammered uh, but some days if you execute well um you are going to allow a lot of balls in play but your defense will make plays behind you the balls will be at guys your, you will be pitching to the shift very well. Um, and, you know, you're not always going to get a no-hitter out of it or a, a dominant outing like Lester had on Friday. But, I mean, just as we can't and shouldn't go too far in the other direction when these guys struggle for a couple starts, we do, I think, have to remember with a couple great outings like this that there, there's still guys who are going to be prone to... Um, you know, bunches of runs coming because if you give up a lot of hard contact clustered together, which we've seen with Lester, which we've seen with Mills, um, you know, it's not always going to look that pretty. But I do think that it was appropriate after all those concerns that we had about the rotation, again, justified that we had these two great outings from these two guys that now sort of do have similar profiles and that they are the two guys that the Cubs need to contribute to a um, end run postseason rotation behind um, Hendricks and Hugh Darvish, which by the way, Kyle Hendricks, a great start there on uh, Saturday too. That was very nice to see another good road start for him. Um, oh, what was I going to transition to? You know what? Before we transition to the next thing, let me drop in here and let's get a, let's get some words from our sponsors. This is the athletic shield Kapadia here to tell you about liquid IV. Nobody likes to feel dehydrated. Maybe you get a little bit of a headache, dry mouth. You just don't feel like yourself. But believe it or not, dehydration still occurs daily in three out of four people. 
With Liquid IV, you have the fastest, most efficient way to stay hydrated. Each serving helps you get as much hydration as two to three bottles of water. Maybe you use it after a really intense workout. Maybe you went out socially distanced with friends and had a couple extra beers the night before. That's where Liquid IV comes in. It is healthier than those sugary sports drinks, no artificial flavors or preservatives, and less sugar than an apple. Plus, it contains five essential vitamins, more vitamin C than an orange, and as much potassium as a banana. And Liquid IV is on a mission to change the world. Liquid IV is donating 3.7 million servings in response to COVID-19. Products are being donated to hospitals, first responders, food banks, veterans, and active military. Liquid IV is available nationwide at Costco and Target, or you can get 25% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code ATHLETIC at checkout. That's 25% off anything you order when you use promo code ATHLETIC at liquidiv.com. Get better hydration today at liquidiv.com, promo code ATHLETIC. Hi, I'm the Athletics Joe Posnanski uh, for Indochino. You know, finding clothes that fit you just right can be incredibly challenging, especially for somebody like me who has uh, a body type I would call um, dumpy. It's tough to find anything that fits right. You know, I'm not really a large. I'm not really an extra large. I'm not really a double extra large. I'm not really anything. So it's obviously, it's fantastic. You go to Indochino. They have you uh, go through this entire fitting process where you give them basically every single bit of information that you have about yourself. Uh, you have every measurement you have, uh, who your favorite beetle is, uh, you know, what what uh, you believe about the infield fly rule. And uh, and then you come out and and they're they're going to send you. Uh, clothes that are uh, that fit you really better than anything you could possibly get in the store. It's it's fantastic. Uh, with Indochino, you get custom fitted suits, coats, casual wear uh, at surprisingly affordable prices. Customize everything from the fabric and lining to the lapel shape and uh, monogram if you're a monogram kind of person. Uh, if you're getting married, Indochino is a no-brainer for you and your groomsmen. Forget about the off-the-rack suits that don't fit different body types. Indochino gives everyone a tailored fit. Visit one of the Indochino showrooms across North America or book a virtual appointment and shop online at Indochino.com. And right now, you'll get $30 off any purchase of $3.99 or more when you enter the code JOE at check. Look at that, JOE. It's for me. Joe at checkout. That's super easy to remember. You go to Indochino.com and the promo code is Joe. All right. So um, let's turn. Okay. So we've talked about the rotation a bit about the, the bigness of this weekend for the Cubs, which by the way, you know, if you go, for example, by fan graphs projections, uh, the Cubs are now a, have a dun, 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 100% chance at making oh is it 100 it's 100 now now. okay it is it's 90 percent to take the division it's 9.9 percent to finish second in the division and it's 0.1 to win the wild card and the reason the wild card is so low is the math of the way the schedules work out between the cardinals and brewers the only way one of them could pass the cubs would effectively make it impossible for the other one to pass the cubs and the cubs to still hold on to the wild card so actually you know, for, for folks who love to scoreboard watch the team you're actually now watching as the like floor for the Cubs is actually the Reds. Uh, they would be the team that could plausibly also pass the Cubs if they really fart things up from here. Um, so stepping back from that, I wanted to make sure to get in 
a little bit, uh, not just a plug for your great piece on the bullpen, Sahadev, but also, uh, you know, well, all right, I am going to plug a little bit because I, as, as for as much as I am a, a dude who writes about the Cubs, I'm also a Cubs fan and a consumer of Cubs content. And I got to tell you, for the nerdy folks, when you get that look behind the scenes in the bullpen for like every pitcher in the bullpen, just a little extra snippet of like something they're working on, something that they've honed in their arsenal over the course of the season. Um, the relationship between the bullpen and what's going on at South Bend, by the way, that's all in this piece from Saudi at the athletic, check it out. Um, man, that just fills my bucket a little bit to get those just cause it's, you watch and you try to deconstruct and you can observe the data from the outside of like, oh boy, you know, Rowan Wick's really kind of stepping up his cutter usage, but you don't really always have the narrative behind it to be like, well, what went into that? What was the, and why did he start doing that? And why is Dwayne Underwood not throwing his fastball as much? And um, so just a fantastic read. I mean, that's an awkward setup to you, but like, is there, <laughs> you know, discuss any part of it that you want that's, you know, podcast oriented, I guess. Yeah, no, I mean, honestly, the reason I wanted to write it is because I've been fascinated by, I know the, I mean, once I kind of got a heads up that Rex Brothers may be coming up and that uh, Marquez and Steele weren't, and and there was a little bit of a, you know, the, <laughs> I I understood that that meant, oh, dear Lord, I know how Cubs fans are. There was a lot there. of pushback to that decision, yeah. a lot of, yeah. Uh, and and so, so I wanted to reach out to Hadavi too to just talk to him about it because uh, I I, I kind of knew uh, what was going on there. But Marquez just they they're going to be patient. They're not going to rush this guy. And I read kind of what you wrote too, Brett, about it. Um, and and you explained it well in the sense that they yes, do they need him to be perfect? No, no, they don't need him to be perfect. Other teams may you know take that chance and and push a guy like that. But Brothers has nasty stuff, uh, and and he's he's kind of on a heater. And I've talked to guys that haven't made the big leagues about this. And one one of one of my closest scout friends pitched in the minors, never got got to AAA, and never got to the big leagues. Why? Because when he was on a heater, they had what they needed in the big leagues. They were good in the bullpen. When he was when his had that dead arm period or blah 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 whatever, he just what he was on a down period. That's when they needed that that what what he brought to the table, and so they went with someone else. So that that is something that player development staffs and and uh, front offices look at. How are you doing right now? Are you are you pitching well at this very moment? Even though we know you're an erratic pitcher, what are you doing now? You're locked in. Get him up there. Let's see. Let's use this now because we have it. And I heard that the people out in South Bend were pounding their fist for him. I, I think the numbers, I, I have it in the piece, but I think in eight outings, it was 17 strikeouts and two walks. Okay, it's South Bend. It's not real games. I understand. Don't don't freak out about those numbers. But obviously, he was doing something right. So so I get, So that's the main reason why Brothers was called up. In addition to Braylon Marquez just isn't locked in like they want him to be, like he can be. And Justin Steele is recovering from a hamstring issue. Uh, now, I think he's near the tail end of that, but Rex Brothers, at worst, what you're getting is a guy that they think is kind of on a heater. Let's see what he can do, but it buys time for Steele, and it buys time for Marquez to get locked in. 
honestly, I think that's less interesting than a couple other things going on in the bullpen. I, I think this bullpen has turned into a potential strength. If Craig Kimbrell's legit, I mean, even he gave up two singles the other day, but man, get, getting out of that quickly without real much of a, like much of a fuss, I think is impressive. Just go look at his numbers. He's striking out like almost 50% of the batters, more than 50% of the batters since he kind of uh, got right, right? There was like three or four, there were three or four terrible outings to start the season. And then he Outside was, of the, then yeah. he was kind of taken out of the mix entirely for about a week. Yes. And then he came and, back and he had one rough outing, his first outing back from that yep. like, step back. And then he's been basically fantastic. There was that Reds outing where he walked guys. But yeah. otherwise he's been perfect since then. And th- that's the one bad outing where you look at it and you're like, that's uh, right now that's the outlier since he's been kind of fixed, whatever you want to call it. I think that's a huge, huge thing that I know fans don't want to trust him. And I know he's going to get ripped uh, if he makes one mistake going forward. Uh, I get that. But I mean, just watch the pitches, watch the way uh, hitters are reacting. It's pretty impressive, really. Uh, the two guys that I'm I'm very curious about because I'm just I'm always interested in. I mean, bullpen arms are tantalizing in general, right? You see a guy and you're like, oh, if he could just do this. That would be so impressive. Oh, man, why can't he command it? Jason Adams is one of those guys for me, okay? When he goes in there and he's commanding his stuff, uh, it's it looks good. It looks legit to me. He's got he's got two breaking balls now that he's uh, not afraid to use. He's got a fastball that has elite spin. The second the Cubs got him, I had multiple scouts telling me outside the org saying, I kind of like this guy if he can find some way to command his breaking balls he can use his secondaries a little bit better well what what i found interesting is when i watch him pitch he throws this uh what was labeled on statcast as a change up doesn't look like a change up to me because he throws 95 96 and it comes in at 91 92 that doesn't seem like a change up it has arm side action a little bit of sink uh that looks like a two-seamer to me but hadavi says it's not a two-seamer he agrees it's a change up uh basically he says it, it has no spin to it so you're talking about a ball that a fastball that spins like crazy two breaking balls that spin like crazy and then this changeup that he throws with a crazy movement that hitters just it's completely different look for hitter, hitters so i i think i mean you look at his strikeout rate it's above 40 percent yeah it's a nine in the third inning i think uh but he's he's a guy that's intriguing to me and again it's a short burst right now we got three weeks in the season or something like that and then the postseason ride him right and the same thing with underwood he stopped using that fastball because he's not a fastball guy he's a changeup curveball guy right now just you know he looks he looks like a better pitcher he's starting to gain confidence uh those two guys are big in my mind because now you have a bunch of swing and miss and you have jeffress at the back end who's you know uh isn't afraid of any situation can handle any situation yeah is he the prototypical you know 35 percent uh seven percent walk guy 35 percent strikeout guy no uh not many pitcher not many teams have that guy at the back end anymore but he's he's a veteran he knows how to handle the situation. I, I like him there just to, like in the sense that you feel confident that he'll get it done. But you also have a ton of swing and miss guys that you can kind of uh, put in his place. And Rowan Wick is one of those guys I was I thought I was starting to be like, I don't know. Was that a flash in the pan last year? Because I didn't love the way like I think he had success early, but it didn't look great to me. And then he started to get knocked around and it's like, yep, OK, yeah, he was a flash in the pan. I was wrong on that. Uh, no. 
he's 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 he looks so much crisper the last few outings and i i think that's a great sign and like you mentioned the cutter you can get righties to swing and miss on that pitch it's uh, there's some really intriguing things going on with this bullpen right now and i i said it at the beginning and i i know fans get angry and but they they were like what how can you possibly say there's anything positive about this group and it was more about the raw talent and the, the the idea that, okay, let's see if they can figure out roles, get guys settled in, and, and just go from there. And it has. It's come together. And I, I like it a lot. You have multiple guys that can close. You have a, multiple swing and miss guys. You have ground ball guys. It's, it's a good bullpen right now. I really need to figure out the lefty situation. But I, I like I like the potential there too. I mean, who knows what Osich is? Who knows what Rick's brothers is? And even if those guys aren't, aren't – uh, the answer, then let's see what Marquez and Steele can do if they get right. Yeah, and Andrew Chafin potentially coming back yes. as well. Um, yeah, I mean, what's what's fascinating about this bullpen, you know, the last month or so, they've been a top five bullpen by results in baseball. And, you know, we start having these conversations where we talk about these late inning guys and we're like, and we're like yeah, and you know who else is looking really good? Oh, and you know who else is looking really good? Oh, and you know who else? And what has happened is, um, you know, we had this conversation uh, before the season, back in spring training, that that there was an approach to the bullpen this year for the Cubs, that it wasn't just that they were being economical, is it was that they targeted guys who like did one special thing, and then it was, and then maybe we can add a little bit from there. And what has happened is like virtually all of those guys have hit, and that doesn't happen. I mean, you you when you grab five or six guys of the like, you know, Ryan Tapera type where it's like, well, you know, he does this one thing really well and maybe we can, you know, add a absolutely ridiculous cutter, which is what has happened. Um, you, you might get one hit out of all of those. And yet, and you know, the part that gives me pause is it's like, even when that happens in a regular season, that might take you half a year you know, to really give a guy enough looks to really figure it out. And somehow the Cubs have figured these guys out, stabilized roles and gotten an extra gear out of some of these guys in like two months. It's kind of crazy. And so like, that's the part that I, it's not that I don't buy it because I see the results. I watch these guys. They, they are getting results because they are performing really well, but it's like, how have they executed this so well with so many pitchers who most people would describe as like, you know, grabbing off of the scrap bin. And it's like, clearly the, some of the changes at an organizational level last year that informed the decisions about who they were going to target, how they were going to work with them. Like clearly something went very, very right. And I don't think we talk about that part enough because you do not hit on five or six reclamation bullpen arms like this in such a quick time and in such a visible real way unless you are doing something very very right in every step of the process at an organizational level and they and you know what they needed a little time early on in the season right it didn't go perfectly early on in the season it was a mess 
It didn't cost them many games, though. If any, I don't think the bullpen was the reason they lost any of those games early on. If anything, the the starting pitching, uh, you know, of late is what kind of sunk them in the inconsistent offense. The bullpen hasn't like the bullpen solidified, and then all of a sudden everything else kind of went haywire for a bit. Uh, so I, I, it's kind of remarkable that that this bullpen that was just kind of patched together and it, like what you just described hasn't cost them anything, and 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 it came together pretty quickly, and now it's. Now it's just like, okay, let's see if the starting pitching can keep going. The guys beyond Hendricks and Darvish, can they keep this up? And if the offense can just give you enough or click or get hot, get on a heater like we were talking about with the relievers, any of that works right now because you have a bullpen. And all honestly, the way the bullpen looks, I wouldn't be uh, – I wouldn't be too concerned with trying to ride Darvish and Hendricks through the playoffs and, and figuring things out between if Chatwood and Quintana are healthy, if Braylon Marquez is up, you can fit, you can figure things out. You can, I really think that uh, David Ross is willing to kind of bend and, and, and experiment no matter what. And he's, he's got some people around him that can help him kind of guide him through those moments, even if he's not the most comfortable with it, which, you know, honestly, I think he has shown that he's, he's comfortable with certain things, even if he may not make the perfect decision every single time. Uh, I, I think they, it, it's a, I don't want to get too high on the Cubs because I know how they tease us uh, like this every season <laughs> the past few years. So I'm not saying that, you know, that this team is, uh, can compete with the Dodgers on pure talent on the field or on paper, but uh, I think they're intriguing enough that, that things have started to come together where I, I would never suggest that the bullpen is a weakness now. And and it may be something that uh, may be strong enough that it can make up for other weaknesses. Yeah, I mean, it, at this point, I think we've got enough aggregate data and sort of eyes on to know that this uh, it would take a rash of injuries, I think, for the bullpen to, to really become a source of, con- of serious concern again. Um, all right. Well, we'll leave it there. Uh, Cubs off day today here on Monday. Then they are playing the Indians. Kind of a tough stretch to end the season. They've still got, what, the Indians, the White Sox, the Twins. Um, but like we said, the schedules behind them in the division are not kind. So probably looking pretty good for the Cubs. Uh, we will be back at you later this week. Uh, I'm Brett Taylor. You can check out my stuff at Bleacher Nation. That is Sahadev Sharma. Check out his stuff, including that excellent bullpen piece. I mean, we barely scratched the surface here, so go ahead and read it. It's at The Athletic. Uh, We are on to Waveland. Subscribe, rate, review, all that good stuff, and we will talk to you again soon. Thanks, folks.